You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. This is part two of Digital Noise with Aaron, where we had to split it up. We were just having too much fun talking about all the superhero stuff, so it went on longer. But we're going <laughs> to talk about all the rest of the movies here, which we have some fun stuff to say here. Of course, uh, Digital Noise is always brought to you by Oscar Blues Brewing Company. Oh my God, Oscar Blues, you're the best. I'm on my second uh, Old Chub Scotch Ale right now, and then I'm going to switch over to Mama's Little Yellow Pills, which I also really enjoy. It's one of those beers, like, like Real as Fireman Number 4. If you're one of those people who, like... No, I just like some mellow. I just, that's why I just drink Miller Lite or some crap garbage like that. You know what? Try and have some self-respect. Drink something that's not made from rice. It's actually made from real barley that will taste better. You will go, Oh God, this does taste a lot better. And it has a little bit more of a kick like their mama's little yellow pills. Thoroughly enjoyable. I I will officially throw my endorsement behind the Scotch Ale. That's my jam. Yeah, but that's not one I would recommend to your average Miller Lite drinker. No, but mama's (laughs) little yellow pills. I will. Go visit them at their brew pubs that are located, two in Colorado, one in North Carolina, one in Austin. There's so many beers there to choose from. They're excellent. They do, in fact, and full disclosure, supply us with beer. So know that me saying this, yes, of course, I'm a little biased, but man, uh, I sought them out because I loved their beers so much, and I was so excited to get this deal. It's great for us because all of our people who come over here to record and are part of the oneofus.net universe – yeah, we're a universe now. <laughs> uh, get to drink for free. And uh, you guys should go out there and you should try it out. You should take pictures. You should at Oscar Blues and at one of us net, which is our Twitter, which you should follow if you're not following already. And uh, take a picture of yourself drinking one and say, thanks, guys, for turning me on to this great beer. Don't forget to check us out also on our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Tumblr page. we got a lot of stuff out there. And Digital Noise is now available on its own on iTunes. If you just want to subscribe to Digital Noise, we have our own iTunes feed. Thank you as, as well to our subscribers. You know how you, who you are. Thank you so much. I bow to you deeply. And if you're not a subscriber, think about becoming a subscriber. You are the, that is why we can do all these shows. The only reason Digital Noise can even exist. This is a, like, this is like a 60, 80 hour a week job. And I have very little time to do much. And no, it doesn't pay a lot. I do it for the love of it, as does almost everyone else in this thing. And if you guys don't subscribe, I can't afford to do it. It's just that simple. So please think about being a subscriber. There's lots of bonus content you get that are in the forums if you become a subscriber. So that alone is a, uh, is a plus. But even if you're like, I don't have enough time to listen to even, even more shows. Hey, you're paying by doing that at two, five, ten or $25 a month for the shows you already know and love and giving us a little, like a little salute. You're going, yes, I salute you. One of us done that. Thank you. Let's go on to the rest of the reviews. Boy, we're starting off with a winner here. Um, <laughs> as Aaron just informed me, this movie Blast, directed by um, not exactly considered to be the high end of directors, right. Albert, Albert Pion. So I could talk about him because uh, I have been familiar with his work for a while. Uh, he is, well, first of all, he is a sweet, lovely guy for all that I can tell. 
He has made about 52 movies in about 20 to 30 years. I think maybe one has ever been good. Uh-huh. They're, no, no, no. I give him more than one. Okay, okay, okay. Call two. Uh, they're almost universally piles of shit. But you know what? The dude makes movies. And he has kept making movies throughout his entire life. So go him, but fuck you, Chris, for making me watch him. <laughs> okay, so in terms of other movies he did that I liked, he did a movie in 1992 named Nemesis that is actually pretty fun. It's the first time I've ever seen anyone do the thing where they shoot a hole in the floor to get escape. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. He, he made uh, Captain America, the first Captain America, not the first Captain America with Chris Evans, but the first Captain America in 1990. And he did Cyborg in 1989 with Van Damme, which I've actually never seen, but I know some people are fans of. But I'm going to give him real credit for his 1982 film, his directorial debut, The Sword and the Sorcerer, which I have not seen since probably... Since 1982? Probably. <laughs> but I remember loving it, partially because it was a dude who had a three-pronged sword, and he could fire two of them at people. Like, he could <laughs> click it and shoot them, and I was like, that's awesome! Oh my God, that sounds like an LRP. Thing. Yeah. Oh, there was a movie, Radioactive Dreams, that was also a little bit popular as well when uh, he did that. But this is not one of his films that anyone is going to say is a let's go see that. Blast is one of those movies. This came out in 1997 that is, wow, way after the fact, a just shameless ripoff of Die Hard. Shameless, I tell you. Shame, shame, shame. That is so low budget and embarrassing. Okay. So let's just start. Let's just start with this thing. Let's just get into this. Lyndon Ashby plays Jack Bryant. He's an everyman. <laughs> but he got in trouble at one point. And despite his history of even being an Olympically trained martial arts athlete, because, you know. With, uh, he, with a fucked up leg yeah. that only shows up when he has to walk in the straight line. Yeah. The rest of the time. doesn't impede in his fighting ability. Yeah. He's a little gimpy. Sure. Uh, he's working as a janitor at the definitely not Olympic-sized swimming uh, stadium <laughs> uh, where these Olympics are supposed to be. Yeah, uh, it's, it, 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 it's a... It's a college pool. Yeah. You know? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And the whole movie is felt, is set in this crappy, like, like YMCA. Um, and so terrorists decide that they're, I don't even know what their goal is, quite frankly, but they are, I've, I've figured uh, out a whole plan to get in, like, take people hostage, uh, what the point of doing – take the swimming – American swimming team hostage. What the point of this is before the Olympics have even started, I don't know. Well, it's – the reason is because they don't have the budget for all the extras. Mm -hmm. So instead of, you know, doing the smart thing and making a smaller scale movie, they just said, fuck it. We're going to say this is an Olympic event. They just have two janitors in the entire facility. Right. Oh, yeah. And the other janitor is a sassy, large-sized black woman just saying shades of familiarity. Yeah. Shades of familiarity. She's, once again, to Die Hard. Yeah. She's a sassy, overweight black woman in the 90s. Yeah. Um, okay. So if that's not enough... The coach, one of the two coaches of the girls' swim team is the main character's ex-wife, 
who he has issues with, but still clearly kind of loves. And she's dating the other coach who's kind of smarmy, who, yes, when it comes down to them being held hostages at one point, tries to make a deal with the evil head guy. I mean, come on, guys. What the fuck are you doing? This is so obvious. All right, so if this couldn't get any weirder. Okay, so Tim Thomerson, who I love, Night of the Creeps, many other many classic horror films, is in here barely as the police commissioner. In a poorly recorded, the audio quality is significantly less, completely separate plot line that only kind of becomes important in, like, the last 20 minutes of the movie. And then, like, about the halfway point of the movie... Suddenly, Rucker Hauer shows up. As an Indian, a Native American. Yeah, are, he's, is he supposed to actually be a Native American? He's got Native American braided, wait, like, wait, giant pigtails. Wait, he's, wait. he's like Indian Pippi Longstockings. There's more. He's a Native American double amputee. Yes. Which, it, it's relevant. <laughs> and, and, and is a, a supercomputer hacker who's trying to help things from the outside, but only kinda. He's really only introduced at one point because they want to have a scene towards the very end with him. Oh my god, which, which is almost worth, worth the price of admission. This whole thing is shameful. So like, so I, as a rule, I don't necessarily believe in these so bad it's good. Like, I, I think that movies that fail where you put a lot of heart into it can be entertaining films, but I don't generally watch bad, boring movies sure. because I like to make fun of them. And this is unfortunately a bad, boring movie. It really is. But this is a 1.5 speed movie for I, sure. I have to be honest. The climax of this movie is so fucking batshit weird Involving, I, I, it just it involves the double amputee Indian or Native American Rutger Howard. It involves the worst explosion you've ever seen put to film, and it involves an Olympic pool. Oh my god, pool. so bad! Uh, and it's worth watching this movie, kind of almost. I, you know, all right. So there were a lot of bad Die Hard ripoffs that came out. Like everyone, there was a cliche. Die, it's Die Hard yeah, on it's a Die Hard on a. Yeah, this is the worst one. Like that I've ever personally seen. Oh, it also it does hold the prestigious honor of being the theatrical film debut of Shannon Elizabeth, who is hostage. Uh, she is one of the seven American Olympic swimmers who do nothing but cry and cower for the entire two hours. Yeah, I don't even know if she got a line of dialogue. She does not. Uh, uh, but, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's nothing to say about this film that is... There's nothing good to say about this film. You just the only reason you would watch this thing is because you know going ahead of time that that it's one of the worst diehard ripoffs ever made, and to watch it on that level. I mean, you guys who are fans of junk food cinema, when they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel, this is one of those films that I wouldn't be surprised to hear Brian and Cargill say, "But we kind of liked it." I beg to differ. I no, think you this think? Is, I think this is beyond them. Um, uh, I will say as well, he did doll, the first Doll Man movie. Uh, 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 which, points, which, uh, wasn't that Tim Thomerson in that? I do not know. I can't remember. Points of clarification for those listening. If you look at the cover, 
And you see that there is a building blowing up. Yeah, it's a ripoff. That building movie. is not in that movie. It's no. not in this movie. There's and no that skyscrapers. Does not happen. Yeah, it's this is embarrassing, embarrassing. But you thought that was the only Albert Pion movie we were gonna. You were like, well, thank God, there's only one Albert. Pion. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Albert Pion movie we're gonna cover. No, you're wrong. We're gonna. Oh shit, I forgot to put it in here. Fuck. Uh, we're gonna talk about Crazy Six. I. I hate you for making me watch that for the next episode, Chris. Yeah. Oh, you have not seen it? I have not seen it. Oh, we're not going to talk about it. Okay, yeah, we'll save it. For now. I thought you said you did see it. All a false lead. Oh, everybody. shit. It's a false lead. In. The, the, this oh, is your next, for next week. His next episode, when he's on it, he's going to have to sit through that, which is not worse than Blast. Yeah, because Chris loves me so much after all of my talk about him giving me nice, good movies only. He gave me two Albert Pugh movies to watch in the same session. Nobody promised you a Rose Garden. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so something you didn't get to see is the set they put out. I'm so glad because the original set for season one of this uh mockumentary television series documentary now with an exclamation point was put just put out on DVD. Now they put out the first two seasons uh, from this IFC IFC show on Blu-ray in one set. And it is so worth it for people. And I mean, really maybe only specifically people who gen genuinely like documentaries because every episode of the show, which is made by Fred Armisen, Bill Hader and Seth Myers, uh, is a direct parody of a classic documentary and they go their own way. They, and some of them to some degree fuse more than one, but they're generally well, obviously more one than the other. So, and, and I've seen, I've seen the first episode, which is Sandy passages. Yeah. Uh, based on gray on, gardens. Yeah. Which I saw that the week after I saw gray gardens, it's phenomenal episode. It's it really good point. Well, season one is that, then uh, uh, Canuck Uncovered, which is a parody of Nanook Revisited, which is one of the original documentaries. I think it may be uh, the first theatrical documentary. Um, uh, Drones, The Hunt for El Chingon, which is a parody of Vice News documentaries. Uh, the Eye Doesn't Lie, which is a parody of one of the greatest documentaries ever made, The Thin Blue Line. Sorry, so good. Uh, a Town, a Gangster, a Festival, uh, which is a parody of Hollywood, which is pretty goddamn funny. It's that they go to Iceland for an, a festival that honors Al Capone, which is pretty amusing. Uh, there's uh, Gentle and Soft, the story of the Blue Jean Committee, part one and part two, which is the last two episodes of season one, which is a parody of the documentary History of the Eagles, which wasn't as good as I was hoping it would be. It was fine. I mean, I, I will say, like... This is the show that not every episode is going to hit and stick with you. It depends on what your fondness is for the documentaries well, there. And that's I, the I problem with the format is that if you aren't a fan of the actual source documentary, the jokes don't land as much for you. Uh, season two, though, which I had not seen, and I actually we actually previously reviewed season one on Digital Noise. Season two as the bunker, which is a parody of the War Room. Uh, uh, Juan likes, likes rice and chicken, which is a parody of Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Uh, <laughs> Parker Gale's location is everything, which is a parody of uh, Swimming to Cambodia. Pretty funny take on it and the idea that, like, if you imagine, like, 
the guy telling there sitting there in front of the the screen behind him telling his great elaborate stories and then it switches to a side screen with the people he's talking about going this is bullshit that's nothing like what happened at all here's what actually happened uh globesman which is a parody of a very old documentary called salesman which won i believe best uh, documentary when it came out at the oscars final transmission which is a parody of the talking heads stop making sense which is so genius i don't even know how to start it's so good and then the highlight of this second set, the last two episodes are a part one and part two of Mr. Run, Runner Up, My Life as an Oscar Bridesmaid, which is a parody of The Kid Stays in the Picture, picture that documentary about uh, legendary Hollywood producer Robert Evans. And it is so fucking funny with uh, Bill Hader, who is who is just killing it right now between this and Barry and everything else. Oh, my God. He plays the Robert Evans type character in here. It is so funny. This is not going to be for everyone. This is, like I said, once again, specifically for people who actually really do appreciate documentaries. This is more subtle than a lot of other stuff is. It definitely has a sort of like maybe not definitely not as goofy as Spinal Tap, but a vaguely Spinal Tap feel to a lot of these. It's IFC. IFC specializes in this niche stuff. If this is for you, just by Chris and I talking about it, you're excited for it and you're wanting to check it out already. If what we said doesn't interest you, it, it might not be for you. Like, you really do have to be that person who loves these documentaries and enjoys them being sent up. And I will say that I don't feel like you have to have seen the specific documentaries, but have a feel for, like, I watch a lot of documentaries. I get it. Um, it, it doesn't hurt to have seen the specific yeah. documentaries, but they're all, they all have their own goofy, totally goofy element that doesn't... Nothing... None of the documentaries require for you to have seen the ones to get the jokes. Although I have to admit, like, so I haven't seen it, I'm going to. I will almost assuredly probably either watch the episode, then go watch the real documentary or do the reverse for each one just so I can see them all. Cause I've seen like maybe three of the documentaries they parodied. And it's fun. It's a fun challenge to go watch them. Yeah. Like there's a, generally speaking, the documentaries they're listing are all legendary. Doc- I don't know if I'd recommend history of the, the, the Eagles to anyone, but generally legendary uh, documentaries that are well worth your time. Uh, certainly, once again, I can't recommend it to get enough thin blue line. If you've never seen that swimming to Cambodia with Spalding Gray, really terrific, which is just one man on stage talking heads. Stop making sense. I would say is the greatest music concert film ever made. It's a tall order. I, I, I kind of feel like it's hard to say it's not. It, it's pretty goddamn good. And then The Kid Stays in the Picture, maybe my favorite documentary about Hollywood ever made. I mean, like, not about movie making, but about Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, my favorite documentary about movie making is uh, 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 Jodorowsky's Dune. Really? Yeah. I would have assumed you went for Heart of Darkness, but Jodorowsky's Dune is a great answer. I, I know. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. All right. Let's move on. You're like, I know my taste is good. Uh, <laughs> another movie that you saw a while ago, but you haven't seen in a while, is Cradle with Rock. Oh, Cradle Will Rock. This is a new Blu-ray release uh, of this film coming out from Kino Lober. It's one of those films I remember seeing in the theater when it came out back in 1999 and going... 
man, I feel like I should like this movie more. I feel like I'm not old enough for this movie is how I felt about when I saw this movie. Like, like this is not made for me yet. And maybe someday it will be. So I was excited to ask for it when they were like, Hey, it's available now. I was excited to get a chance to watch it again. And I'll be honest, coming back to this movie directed, uh, and produced and written by Tim Robbins and, uh, yeah, it's still not really totally. I, I have to admit, like I, I actually really enjoyed the movie. Now, I, I, I will admit, it's. I, I have no other way to put this, and this is as a hardcore left wing commie. It's liberal <laughs> propaganda. I mean, it's exactly what Tim Robbins would do. It's, it, it's the Red Scare. You know, when they were going after. Uh, any kind of, at this time, it was playwrights for being communists and bringing them in and questioning them. Yeah. And you know what? Us artists and creators, we get to stand up for what's right and power to the people. And it's true. All that. And it's, it's, it's a movie about plays and acting in New York the way every other movie like this is a movie about Hollywood and making films in L.A. Uh, there is 8,000 characters. They're all played by some of the greatest actors of that time. It's an enormous list they of They all put in amazing performances. But it never really gels. There's together. not really a story. It's like, I mean, there is a story. It just has no emotional center. It never really... The characters... All right, so... Robbins worked with Altman on The Player. Robert Altman on The Player. This is clearly his... I learned a lot from working with Altman. I want to make a Robert Altman film. It is such a Robert Altman film. Yeah, but... And even, even with Altman, I'm like... Altman is a mixed bag for me. I'm like, uh, even a lot of his films that are widely loved, I'm like, this is not as good as people say it is. Uh, partially because it do- they don't always gel all well, these huge to separate elements together. I will still argue that The Player is absolutely his best film. Uh, but this particular one follows uh, an initially... Uh, what's her name? Um, Emily Watson playing Olive Stanton, who's like a homeless girl who wants to get a job with the Federal Theater Project, which is a point where the government was subsidizing theater. And a lot of people were not exactly happy about it because the theater was uh, filled with like socialists like Ocean or Orson Welles, or at least like people who people perceived as socialists. Yeah. Not you know? capitalists. Yeah, yeah. Who were like, oh, we have things to say. It's like, well, if they're not just straight up wave the flag promotions, if they have questions about like things, then we're not interested. That just sounds like communism to me. Uh, meanwhile, um, Hank Azaria in a side story is a playwright who's literally having hallucinations while trying to work out his new, very socialist musical about like, uh, 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 unions, uh, union strike breaking, which yeah. is actually what this is named after that real thing. His character, Mark Blitstein is a real life person who wrote a musical called the cradle with rock will rock, which is largely deeply respected but it never really got the run it deserved because of the time period and, when it and came that's, out. That is the, and I put it in quotes, story is the play being written pre-production of the play and then will it or will it not actually get performed. He's hallucinating his late wife and, and, and Bertolt Brecht 
talking to him and like questioning his like was writing. That who those people were, yeah, yeah. I, I know, know, but they never explain it. I had to look it up. I was like, oh, is that who that was supposed to be? Uh, and there's all this stuff like like going with the political stuff and the people are questioning it um, with uh, Joan Cusack and Bill Murray playing two people who work in the industry, entertainment industry, who are like we question what the people who are being given money by the government are doing with that money. Which I have to admit, so that was the only storyline that didn't end up gelling at all for me. Mm. Like, it felt like Bill Murray had this revelation and did this thing, and when that happens, I was left going, I know I'm supposed to feel something here, that you achieved something, but I don't really understand what you just did. The weirdest part of that whole storyline is like, he's been assigned to um, uh, like assistants to train who are played by tenacious D. Yeah. Like they were funny. The two guys. No, but they're not even funny in this. They're like, it's, you're like, wow, you're just, this is lame. They're every time those, uh, that, that whole storyline is on screen. It's lame. See, I giggled at them because of, how eagerly unfunny they were, it, I don't know, it worked for me. I mean, I know there's a whole thing that I'm missing there somewhere about how they were just copying his routines and yeah. doing it in a more commercial, generic way. That, that, that I kind of get it, but at the same time, I'm like, this is so... It, yeah. But then there's a the thing with John Cusack playing Nelson Rockefeller who wants to support the arts. And he hires a famous artist, Diego Rivera, played by Ruben Blades. Blades? Blades? I don't, I don't know. know. Um, to come in and, and, you know, do this huge mural in Rockefeller Center, which is a real thing. He painted this enormous, amazing mural. And then they realized that Lenin was in it and he wouldn't paint it out. And so they destroyed it. Uh, fortunately, he, uh, Diego actually repainted it later, so it is available to see, and it's quite beautiful. But that's a whole story here with, uh, with Frida Kahlo, who has nothing to do there, and you're like, aren't you more interesting than Diego Rivera? Yes, she is. <laughs> but she's given nothing to do but to glare. Carrie Elwes is John Houseman, classic actor. Paul Giamatti is in this. Philip Baker Hall. Uh, Angus McFadden. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave, Susan Sarandon, John Turturro. I mean, it's Bob Balaban. This is an incredible cast for a movie that ultimately is kind of a disorganized mess. Uh, so you, know, you know what it feels like to me? And when you made the comment about Robert Ottman, that really kind of brought it home for me. This feels like a less, dis, a more disconnected version of Prairie Home Companion to mm-hmm. me. Where... Like, yeah, there's technically a story, but not really. It's really more about just watching the performances, and it, it it's like watching a play without a story. But it's just like, this very, just watch people act. It was like, Robin's going, I just need you to know that this was what was happening at this period of history, which it's largely historically accurate yeah. with some fictional characters written into it, because it reflects what's going on today still at some point. I'm like... Okay. I just wish it was more entertaining to watch. Yeah, I, um, I, and, and I was very entertained by it. I, I I wish they had cut the Bill Murray section out completely. Mm-hmm. And Which uh, we never thought we'd say about anything. Yeah, about. I know. And it, it would have made a far better movie. But I, I will also say that if you are not a 
diehard left-wing socialist like me, <laughs> you're going to get aggravated by this movie because it's pure Tim Robbins. Uh, there's a commentary that is uh, I, I listen to off and on uh, <laughs> with Tim Robbins that's really arrogant. I'm sorry. Really? Was, yeah, I thought, I thought so. Fuck it. Uh, Eight-minute EPK and a theatrical trailer. But I have hmm. to admit, my, my even though I like really, really enjoyed this movie... I can't imagine Tim Robbins is anything but pretentious as fuck throughout that entire commentary. Pretty mu- that because, that was my take on because, it. Like for all that I, I didn't love listen this to movie, the whole commentary. I was flipping it off and on. Like this movie is pretentious as fuck. <laughs> well, our next film is very opposite of pretentious and as fuck. That's the 2004 remake of the 1973 movie Walking Tall, uh, originally based on a real-life person, Sheriff Buford Pusser, which I want to... Everything I'm about to say about this movie as we get into it is about the character in the movie. I have no feelings and know nothing about the real Sheriff Buford Pusser. Yeah. That being said, please continue. Well, I'm, I've never seen the original Walking Tall, and I feel bad for it because I've always heard it's quite good. It, it's it's a classic. People have talked about it for a while. And Buford Pusser is an interesting real-life person. And it's interesting that this remake, that even though it renames the character and has Dwayne Johnson at this point credited as The Rock playing him, the real-life Buford Pusser was a wrestler, a professional wrestler, before he became really? a sheriff. So it was kind of like, oh, well, that's an interesting turnaround. But a lot oh, yeah. is different. This is not very close to the original Walking Tall, apparently. Moved from McNary County, Tennessee, to Kitsap County, Washington, the United States. The Rock plays U.S. Army Special Forces uh, Sergeant Chris Vaughn, who's coming back home after the war to his hometown, he started looking to work, finds out the cedar mill that was the, that supported the whole town is closed down three years prior by, after the guy who owned it, uh, died. His heir, played by Neil McDonough, has closed it, took the money to open a brand new casino, and now basically it's back to the future too. Um, it's kind of ruined the town. There's like prostitution and drugs everywhere. See, I would have gone roadhouse. Yeah, uh, there. Now you have to say it like this. Roadhouse. <laughs> um, and he is not pleased, but he's trying to be nice about it at first. Uh, in fact, even accepts an invitation from Neil McDonough, who was indeed a childhood friend of his. Like, like, come to the casino, I'll hook you guys up. And he does. They're like, come on, man, all drinks on the house, have fun, I'll give you credit line, whatever, don't worry about it. But it's not long before he figures out, hey, the gambling's rigged in this casino, and I ain't gonna take that, cause I'm the rock, and I don't put up with that kind of shit. Starts a big fucking roadhouse type brow. But he gets his ass motherfucking handed to him. Because <laughs> there's like 40 dudes. Uh, and despite the fact that his ex-girlfriend, Ashley Scott, is there as a stripper, uh, like he gets, yeah, he gets handed out. In fact, it gets pretty much put into a hospital. Well, they, they, they explicitly leave him for dead. Yeah. And go, yeah, if you weren't the rock, you would have died. And then the rest of the movie is the revenge. Well, it's, it's the rock. Revenge becoming the worst right-wing fear, or the worst right-wing cop you've ever seen. Yeah. Who is, like, he abuses his power, he destroys people's vehicles and property without cause, he fucks a stripper in his office. Yeah, the whole thing, like, he goes, hey, um, guys, here's what's going on, 
and this guy is evil, and do you really want to put me in? Because he's put on trail, trial for destroying the casino, which he totally 100% went in and did. And they're like, or should I be sheriff? And they're like, you're sheriff! <laughs> the thing that got me, too, is, so, like, at least in Roadhouse, the bad guy was a bad guy. Yeah. In this movie, the bad guy really doesn't... It, do anything explicitly bad until after The Rock starts messing Dude. with him. Like, yeah, his men did really horrible a- things. As a criminal goes, as a criminal mastermind type goes, he's pretty affable. Like, I really, <laughs> I still don't know what he was doing evil. Except, well, for- I mean, his, his, his casino was like it was it was like illegally ripping people off, and <laughs> is that it? And- that's pretty much it. That's it. That and the fact that like the town got filled with hookers and shit yeah, because he changed like, the, their like, their their major money source from like a logging thing to a casino. But so like I spent the entire movie just going like yeah like it, it, I couldn't get my head around it. I was like you're just a terrible cop. And my wife was cracking up laughing <laughs> because she's like, well, Aaron, he, he's doing this because of this. And I'm like, yeah, I know he's doing it because of you that. Made your wife wa- watch this film. My wife watched this with me. I'm so sorry. And Please kept, extend my apologies. <laughs> and she kept uh, going like, no, this is his justification. I was like, no, I, I get why he did that on a personal level, but he's a cop now. Yeah. He's supposed Should to be different rules. certain rules. And That's it makes, why you're a cop. It's not any better that fucking Johnny Knoxville is playing his childhood friend's sidekick who is... There's no reason for him to be in this fucking movie. He's just annoying as shit in every scene he's in. That's because this was right when Jackass was coming out, yep. so he was there. But uh, point of fact, there's a scene where Neil McDonough is driving in his like sports car with a hot chick. That's Colby Smolders. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, look at that! Look at that is! Um... This is not good. I have no idea why this MVD is putting out a re-release of this yeah. fucking thing. Why is this getting uh, a release? A special edition. This is not a good movie. And I remember, I did not see this one originally came out. Um, I remember the other guys from Spill at the time did, and I was not at this thing. They are like, ah, it's not too bad. You should see it. No, you're wrong. This movie so, is fucking awful. I will say this. It ends in a relatively decent, quite lengthy gunfight, but... It, and like it, it's, it feels like a send up to some of the old '90s and '80s action films it's, we got. It's not but like it's not like the actions. It's, it's not worth the rest of the movie. It's, it's not just, like the action's horrible. It's just okay. It's just okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like it's nowhere near as good as the moments, which even then is just moments, but really well done moments in something like the rundown. Yeah, I was going to make yeah. the same comparison. Well, here's the thing, though. This is. This is before The Rock became a legitimate actor. Well, he's literally like, just called The Rock here, yeah, not like, Dwayne Johnson. So that's this a is big one of his clip. first movies. He's still Dwayne Johnson. He's a charismatic guy, but he's he hasn't yet figured out how to be the super charismatic, lovable guy that he is today. Agreed. He's well, it's just, you've never learned. seen him grimace so much. Nowadays, we're like. Even in scenes where he should be grimacing, he always kind of is smiling he, because that's his thing. We've learned that if he has fun, we have fun. Yeah. He, his character doesn't have fun. He's never having He's fun. He's trying too hard to be serious and be a terrible, terrible cop. Uh, 
But that being said, there's an audio commentary by The Rock on this motherfucking thing and a separate comment. He gets his own commentary. There's a commentary by the director, editor and director of photography. Uh, there is a stunt uh, EPK. There's 48 seconds of bloopers. There's an alternate ending, which isn't all that alternate. Uh, a photo gallery. There's three deleted scenes and trailers. I mean, if you were a fan of this movie, Martin, Corey. Um, <laughs> hey, here's your ultimate edition of that movie. There you go. It's what you've been waiting for. The ultimate walking tall experience is now yours from MVD. You know, whatever. It even comes with a slip cover. There you go. They went crazy. Speaking of Corey Coleman and movies I didn't see when they originally were, we originally were screening stuff at spill.com and I meant to. And I, well, I don't know if I meant to. I, I probably had to work or something. There's a movie that he saw that I remember he hated so much he wouldn't shut up about it for like four years. Like literally, it may have been the real deal when we first saw it. I don't even remember our old public access show we used to do together. Uh, those guys are now on Double Toasted. I know we reference people that some of you people may not have heard of. If you, DoubleToasted.com is where pretty much the rest of, of uh, the other half of Spill.com's yeah, people Double went. Yeah, and Junk Food Cinema. Yeah. Uh, but I remember he hated it so much. It was just his, it was our way to aggravate him was just to mention it. And that movie that I had never seen until this Recording session, well, not this recording session, until this setup for this recording session, was Van Wilder. Man, I have a completely (laughs) different background with this movie. This came out when I was a freshman, I want to say, in college. I was the perfect fucking audience for this movie. Like, I loved the hell out of this as a kid. No, I get it. This movie, like... There are always those movies that are just perfect for you if you saw them and you were that perfect moment yeah. to see them. Like, and I won't even say this is not a good movie, but there's something even this early on about Ryan Reynolds, who basically this is Deadpool in college, like, where you're like, you can see why his career exploded into like everyone wanted this guy to be a star, yeah. even though he it took a long time to get there. Like, they kept giving him shots because he is so fucking charismatic in this movie that he is delivering some of the worst written dialogue in a way that you really want it to be funny. He is, you know, I can't put it a better way than that. He is super charismatic and entertaining. Even though it's not well written, and, and frankly, so is t- Taj. Ter- t- is it Taj or Raj? Oh, are you talking? Oh, Todd. Uh, uh, are you talking about Cal Penn's yeah, character? Cal yeah. Penn, the horribly racist. I can't believe Cal Penn agreed to do that character. Yeah, but it's still. Oh yeah, you can see Cal Penn back then going like, "Wow, this is a super talented comedic actor." You guys got to be asking yourself, "Why the fuck are you talking about this movie?" Uh, they put it out on 4K. If you okay, can believe you. that, I wanted to ask that. Why? I have no why idea. You, like, I, why? Why Van Wilder on 4K of all the movies? Like, where's like, our Ferris Bueller's 4K? Like, dude, you know, why Blu-ray? This is not a visually impressive film. No. Um, right, so, so one thing I want to say that we're talking about the movie and we jumped right in. <laughs> to Corey hating this and how good Ryan Reynolds is in it. But the thing that I cannot overstress 
is that in today's era, this movie is super problematic. Oh, yeah. It is rapey, I mean, sexist, it's not racist. As, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it's still pretty bad. Um, and keep in mind, this is National Lampoon's Van Wilder, which I don't even know. I, I couldn't even tell you the last. I think maybe Christmas Vacation was the last good National well, Lampoon movie. Well, this was movie. like the death knell. Uh, I think this may have been the last theatrically released National Lampoon movie. Yeah. Because there was this, and then they just went straight to DVD after this. And this was like another like attempt to chase the like the 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 fading traces of their success with Animal House with guy at a college who's been going there I think they said 7 years uh I think it's like 10 is it 10 okay so Ryan Reynolds is that guy Van Wilder uh he's he, doofer from uh, uh Sorority Boys cuz yes that's where my mind goes he is the son of a actual previous guy who was in Animal House uh uh, good Lord, what is his name? Uh, Tim Matheson. In fact, Tom Everett Scott is in here as well. Um, who is like a super rich guy, so who's totally unaware and unconcerned with whatever his son's doing in his life, doesn't realize, yes, my son's still, literally doesn't realize his son's still in college and that he's paying for Which, this expensive, uh, huge college. To jump in, did you see Aaron Paul in this movie? Twice. Yeah, twice. He has the same line right both times. He's over there, man. Yeah. <laughs> he I plays only- a character accredited as Wasted Guy. Yep. <laughs> I only say that because both his lines are to the dad. And he's actually kind of really funny. <laughs> I mean, you're, for, for what it was, I, you got to get your start somewhere, right? Uh, Ryan Reynolds, yes. Yeah, so he is like not portrayed as a loser. He's portrayed as the superstar of the college. Like everyone loves Van Wilder. They're like, oh my god, he's the best. His college apartment is basically like a like the best man cave of all time. It's it, it's amazing. Only uh, the the only comparison would be what. Um, happens when Eddie Murphy's not looking and coming to America to his apartment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With the neon signs and the jacuzzi. Um, uh, he's living high and he loves it. He barely goes to classes, but he's there enough to be able to stay in college, basically. Uh, he just doesn't want to graduate because he doesn't want to move on to being an adult. And when a journalist played by Tara Reid is assigned by her boss, uh, Tom Everett Scott, you you want to be a serious journalist. Even great journalists started off with doing crappy stories in college. We want you to figure out what's the deal with this Van Wilder guy. She, of course, slowly over time starts falling with him for him, despite the fact that her boyfriend is a complete frat boy dick. He's uh, a, he's a, van, he's a generic, boyfriend. he's a generic, he's a like frat boy. Dick. Whereas like Ryan Reynolds is kind of a frat boy dick, but like the frat boy dick who like is not a dick. He's the guy who's like, I'm a dick, but only the people deserve it yeah. to everyone else. I am well, kind of like, I'm kind of like Gandhi. And so Ryan Reynolds, dad comes in, gets Aaron Paul and says, you know what? I'm tired of wasting money on you. You're cut off. And so Ryan Reynolds has to basically figure out how to support his lifestyle uh, by being a party planner. Yeah. And oh, which has a few funny moments. Yeah. Like, like I, I have to admit, like, I, I laughed. I won't deny that I laughed. No, I had a few chuckles during this. Like, uh, it's just... 
for every one laugh, there were seven horribly offensive, unfunny scenes, and the grossest, least funny, gross-out gag in any gross-out comedy. Are you talking about the making, the having sex with the old lady gag, or are you talking nope, about? I the, was okay with. You're the talking sex about the, the gag? making the dog fuck the the, uh, the, the, it, the it, pastries. It it was. Well, I wasn't going to spoil. I actually right? kind of thought that was funny. I got to admit, it, I, it was I, the cream-filled donuts. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed that. Like actually. I thought the gag of the giant testicles to the small testicles was yeah. funny, but the actual reveal went on way too long. Agreed. Agreed. It, it totally did. Um, it's this is a mixed bag to say the least. This is not a good movie, but I can. But honestly. Kind of worth watching if you're a Ryan Reynolds fan to figure out why this guy exploded the way he did. And it's also kind of fun watching to watch a Tara Reid movie before we all realize that Tara Reid was kind of a broken person. Broken. Broken? Broken? Because, like, I remember when this came out, I legitimately was excited for the next Tara Reid movie. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It says something. So why would you buy... The 4K. I, I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, almost all the supplements from the 1080p uh, Blu-ray have been ported over. Not even all of them, apparently. Uh, which is another, like, okay. You know what? If you want to watch some sweet, sweet topless study aids in 4K, that's why you would get it. Um, that's... It's these are it. these are 480p like way upscaled video on the release. It's not even like really pre-made, but I mean, it's just the same shit that was on the previous one. I mean, oh, I bet it was the same that was on the original DVD release too. There's no real reason to get this thing unless you just feel like <clears throat> this is the thing I gotta have. Uh, I guess it's better looking than the Blu-ray. There you go. Our last movie, thank God we can talk about something that I actually want to talk about because it's enjoyable, is one of my favorite movies of this year. And I totally acknowledge, totally acknowledge this is (laughs) not going to be everybody's cup of tea. I get it. This movie, How to Talk to Girls at Parties, is the very definition of a cult film. Well, so it has to be said... It's made by the guy who made Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yeah, which is also the very definition yeah. of a cult film. It, it's which John Cameron Mitchell. The vast majority of people probably haven't heard of it. If you're on this site, I'm hoping you have. Yeah. You should see it. It's great. Oh, it's so good. But I've watched that like 20 times. It's uh, uh, Hedwig is, and the Angry Inch. But this, by the way, is pure Chris cinema because it's a mid 80s punk rock. Like, Not even mid eighties. It's like mid eighties. It's like early eighties. Is it early eighties? Yeah. Okay, but it's a punk rock alien art film. Yeah, art, alien musical art film. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Alex Sharp, who is largely known as like a theatrical actor before this, I, I don't even think he's. I'm not even sure if he was in a film. I think he was on a BBC TV show or something. Uh. Uh, he was, uh, like, after a long search, was cast as young Neil Gaiman, who, by the way, is yeah. the guy who wrote the short story that this is based on and was deeply involved in the making of this film. He's in. He's a comic book uh, a punk rock artist. He does zines, fanzines, where he does the art form. Uh, he's got a whole group of friends that are total punk rockers, and they're out there. Woo! 
bicycling around, having fun, saying, fuck you, anarchy in the UK. It's in London. Or Croydon. I'm sorry. Which is, I guess, 30 I'm minutes. I'm a dirty American. I don't know the difference. It's like 30 minutes from London. And, uh, you know, I mean, they, they, they're having fun and what have you. And uh, they go to a show with a, a punk rock impresario, uh, Nicole Kidman, who plays Queen Botticea, who's old school punk, who's like, I should have been one of those big factory people, but I, I never ended up getting there. Almost unrecognizable. Yeah. Like... It took me. She's incredible. A while because she has this huge punk wig on that just covers up most of her face. It's perfect. When she's sponsoring a show for a punk band that that uh, she is feels like is going to be like the next big thing. Um, in fact, this band, Marlon Thomason playing the lead singer, it's a real band. They're called Selfish Cunt, <laughs> which cracked me up when which I found that such out. A pump name. I, I love that. Um, and it's actually a great like band thing where I'm like, I would totally see the fuck out of this band. if I got a chance to, um, I, and the guys after is like, well, okay, we heard there's going to be an after show and they're searching for the after show and they end up finding the wrong place, this big old house with all these colored lights and they go in and there's a bunch of weird people and vinyl and light, lots of lights yeah. and weird it, music shit going on. It looks like what you would see if you stumbled upon like an, a, a modern art sensory exhibit in – the suburbs of New York or yeah. something. Yeah, at this period of time. Yeah. Like 1982 like, or something. It's just super trippy. And they're like, whoa, he and his group of nerdy teenage friends are like, this is cool? <laughs> uh, and uh, Anne has a meetup with Ellie Fanning, who is Zan, who is one of them, who is very fascinated by his rebellious spirit, and they leave together. And what he doesn't realize is that everyone in that house are actually aliens from another dimension who regularly come to our dimension to essentially just kind of check things out. It's like it to gather experiences. Yeah. But and so this is where the movie gets really weird is there's quite a lot of alien story play that we have in the movie, but we're not really given the context for it, which works because we spend the entire time going, What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> There's an absurdity to it that is necessary for it to be funny to some level and also to be mysterious. But I've watched this three times now and I'm like, I now I'm like, okay, I get it. There's a lot of interstitial scenes visually that are kind of explaining the connections between okay. things. I'm about like, 80% there after my first view. Yeah. Like I, I get well the worth overarching story, but there's a lots of smaller details that I don't get it. And some stuff is like, okay, well, it's just you got to take them for granted that, like, they've got a very – because they're supposed to be – like, they're representing an alien race in a way that's like, they're nothing like humans. Like, nothing. They come down and they possess the bodies of humans or, like, they create bodies of humans to exist here briefly on this planet and interact. But their experiences don't – like their culture, their their way of viewing like existence is, is doesn't utterly, even resemble ours. It, it, it's that that concept of aliens don't necessarily all look and sound like us. Yeah. They they have very different experiences. And, and watching his experience with them, with his with Ellie Fanning, with N introducing uh, introducing himself, getting to know Zan, her being fascinated with him, and the way that ends up 
corrupting all of them, all of these aliens, is funny as shit. I mean, like... Well, it, it, so it, it's a lot like um, Fish Story, yeah. where oh, he basically wow. is like, let me show you what punk is, and takes her on this journey of self-discovery, and because the aliens are all about collecting experience, that gets passed on, and... It ends up being just this really beautiful little short, small tale about him drastically altering the lives of this alien species. It's about love. It's about punk rock. It's about, like, connections. Yeah. It's just, it's about fashion. It's about a lot of stuff, but it's not just about any of it. It's about comics. I generally am not a fan of punk. I loved the music in this movie. Well, yeah, and because this is punk viewed for, through the lens of of uh, the creator of Hedwig and the Angry Inch, um, uh, John Cameron Mitchell, who has it in a much more sort of, almost sort of Broadway sort of sense yeah. version of punk, you know, it's very accessible to listen to the songs of this movie. There's a sequence where... Uh, Zan and M are kind of forced on stage by Nicole Kidman and they have this transcendent, hallucinatory, incredible experience. I'm getting the chills just talking about yeah, it. Yeah, no, uh, like where a- like they, this, they have this huge punk number and at the same time, while it's going on, they're tripping as it's going on and it's so badass. And like it starts off super small as this odd little improv punk song yeah. and turns into this five or six minute long visual art piece. Like, I don't even know how to describe it other than That's not boring at all. Not at all. And so, (laughs) my my wife came My wife joined me at that scene. Oh, wow. And walked in and was just like... Can we start what, this over? What, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> she should have started. She watched. What was the other one you said she watched with you? Walking Tall? Yeah. Why don't you make her watch this? She was working during that. It was uh, just the way time to work. I'm going to make her watch this. All right. Well, this also stars Ruth Wilson, who's best known as the, the, the female serial killer from the first season of Luther, amongst many other things. And Matt Lucas, who's another big English comedian, has been in a ton of things. A lot of familiar faces in this. This is great, uh, and it is my pick of the week without question. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. my pick of the week for part two. I mean, normally I'd say, like, and this is a two-parter, Avengers, obviously, for part one. Yeah. But for the, part two... That's why I was sitting here torn. I wasn't sure how to... There's an audio commentary with John Cameron Mitchell, actor Ellie Fanning, and Alex Sharp. There's a uh, 12-minute uh, making of an other, otherworldly production, EPK, with some fun interviews. And there's about seven, uh, almost eight minutes of deleted scenes. I wish there was more. This is one of those movies that I expect in 20... I, I would be shocked if in 20 years there's not a Criterion edition of this film. Once pe- enough people have had a chance I'd to see that. it and appreciate how clever and smart this movie is. Like, Never going to be for everyone, but neither was Repo Man, and they put that shit out. This, so. is, this <laughs> is one of those few movies that I kind of mentioned when it happens that I'm buying this movie, yeah. definitely. Awesome. I loved it. Uh, yeah, I, I will be showing this to everyone I yeah. know. I will be forcing motherfuckers to sit yeah, down and watch this here. movie. Same here. But that is I the, know three people I'm going to make watch it. <laughs> indeed. right? You know those people. Yeah. You know who they are. You're like, you're going to love this. <laughs> All right, so that's it for Digital Noise Part 2 with Aaron. Thank you so much for joining me once again. My pleasure. A gentleman, a great reviewer, and a funny guy. 
Is there anywhere they can find you online you want them to? Uh, I am on Twitter under Father Baldor, and I'm on Instagram recently after a long hiatus and enjoying it under uh, Mute Saint. That's M-U-T-E-S-A-I-N-T. Don't ask. It started in high school, and it just stayed with me. Fair enough. All right. Uh, well, we will be back in another week or two with more digital noise. Thanks for supporting oneofus.net and uh, our podcast. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Don't forget to drink Oscar Blues. And please, please, I'm begging you to become a subscriber. I can't even tell you. I need you to become a subscriber. Am I being needy? You know what? Please do, because it's the only way that I get to talk about movies with any kind of legitimacy. If not for this, then I just have to have this geekery, and it spills over at work, and I talk to random people. He's going to get fired if you don't become a subscriber. Do you want that? He has two kids. (laughs) You're going to let his kids die because you didn't subscribe? (laughs) Jesus. My little babies say subscribe, please. (laughs) Oh, see, that was needy. 